0: And good morning to you, and the power does live within us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we welcome you. I'm Pastor Dave Mitchell, and uh, good to be with you again as we uh, go through God's Word. One of the values that we have at Calvary Church is that we take a book in the Bible, and we allow God's Word to speak to us, and we open it up, we read it together. So I encourage you to have Bibles in hand. There are Bibles in the chair racks in front of you. If you don't have your own personal Bible, you're welcome to take that Bible home, make that your own personal Bible. And we're in the book of Ephesians, in the New Testament, the latter part of the book of New Testament. And it's a church that was in the city of Ephesus, and so we call it Ephesians. It's in the country that we today call Turkey in those days. It was in Asia Minor, as it was referred to. And uh, I'd like to read the text and then set it up and show you where we're going to go this morning. So we're in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. And the Apostle Paul writes to us, as he wrote to them, And you, that would be us, and that would have been the Ephesians, were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But, and there's the big but, verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And this morning, the theme or the topic or the area that we want to examine from this passage are those barriers that prevent new life. I don't know about you, but I pray for, and you probably do too, and you think about people that you know who need the new life that Christ would provide who need new life even though they may be even a follower of Jesus or at least claim to be a Christian, but they need to move forward. We've all got folks probably somewhere in our sphere of influence. If you come to a church like this and you're here at 8.45 on a Sunday morning, then you've got a level of commitment that maybe goes a little bit higher than a lot of folks that don't choose to do that. And uh, because of that, I have a bit of an expectation that we've got folks that we do care about that may be children, it may be spouses, it may be former spouses, it may be grandparents, it may be people that live next door to us, it may be those that we work with or go to school with. And there's something about that what we want for them is to draw them to be more like Jesus Christ. It may be saved by Christ or then grow as Christ lived. And yet a lot of people don't want to do that. The more you talk about Jesus to some people, the less they're interested. If you look at the life of Christ and just think about His life and the way He lived His life, you say, what's objectionable about the way Christ lived His life? Uh, He would go out and dine with sinners and have a good time with them. Uh, He would go to a woman who was caught in terrible sins and others might want to judge her and He would love her. He would go around and provide miracles for those who need healing. He would calm the ocean, the sea. And you look at these miracles and this love and this compassion of Christ and you think to yourself, I think to myself at least, why does not everybody think that's a good thing and that, boy, that's someone I should know better. And yet there is this resistance that if you tell them you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus and you invite them into that, there's this, whoa, hey, you're you're getting too pushy. Well, what causes that? That's what the Apostle Paul helps us to understand. Why the challenge for us to be impactful for the name of Jesus is so hard. The first opening verses that he gives to us in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, gives us these three barriers as to why it is so hard for us to reach those that need to be reached for Jesus Christ. And the first barrier that we see there is that we need to overcome the spiritual death, but we can't. The problem is that Ephesians 2, 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So people who do not receive Christ, do not believe in Christ, they are dead. Now you look at them, they look very much alive. But God says, no, they're dead to me. Now here are these three words. The word dead means dead in the original language <laughs> and basically it means there's no communication with God there there is a severing of any relationship whatsoever they may say they pray they may say they pray for you but when God is clued in about who it is that's praying he says dead to me the two words for sins your dead and your trespasses and your sins the word trespass is the Greek word that is uh, para, to come alongside, pito, to fall, to come alongside and fall, to fall. And it's the thing I said a few weeks ago, uh, the commercial where the woman needs the little button that she carries around her neck because she's fallen and she can't get up. Well, people outside of Jesus who sin have spiritually fallen and frankly, frankly, they cannot get up. So we need to help them. And the other word for sin, hamartia, is to miss the mark. You aim at a bullseye, and you hit that bullseye every single time, you never sin. And that bullseye is the person, the character of Jesus Christ. If you are as perfect as Jesus is every single day of your life, from infancy until death, then you have hit the bullseye, and you've never committed hamartia. But if you've ever fallen short and somehow not become as perfect as Jesus is, then you have fallen short. And so there are people who have fallen down; they can't get up. And there are people who have aimed for something good but keep on missing it. And God says these people are dead. Imagine what it would have been like if we went over to Fairhaven Cemetery and said we're going to preach to the people in the graves because we want to have revival in this cemetery. Can you imagine going over there and having evangelistic outreach to the people in the graves in the cemetery? Well, you say, Dave, that, that's just insane for you to go over there and preach to buried bodies who are dead. And God says, that's what it's like for you. When you want to reach people for Jesus Christ, you can't reach them because they're dead. Dead people are people we can't communicate with. So here's the problem. That's what Paul's saying. And yet you look around the world, and there's a lot of good people doing good things. And we say, well, how can they be dead spiritually? Because look at all the charity work they do. They care for the hungry. They care for the poor. They just want to help people live their lives better. They go around to other countries and minister to them in their own way, even though they're not followers of Jesus. You can't tell me that they are dead people. Well, deadness has different degrees. Let me illustrate. One of the things I like to do is to ride my bike and motorcycle out Santiago Canyon Road. And I remember a few weeks ago that I was riding my bicycle and I saw by the side of the road, often I'll see a dead deer or I'll see a dead coyote or a dead skunk or a dead opossum, which is okay. (laughs) It's okay if they die. I saw a dead coyote and I looked at that dead coyote who had obviously just recently, even that morning perhaps, been hit by a car. And when I looked at the coyote, I looked at it and I thought, I wonder if it just needs some CPR, you know, because it didn't look dead. It just looked like it was sleeping. It looked very calm and peaceful, nothing to fear. But then on subsequent days and subsequent weeks, it was an interesting phenomenon. As I rode by that dead coyote, I could say, you know, that coyote, that, there's no question about the fact that that's a dead coyote. Why? because its body began to shrink and suddenly its ribs began to protrude and its hide began to tear away and you could see where the ravens had come and pecked away its internal organs and sorry for being too graphic but eventually there was no fur there was no skin and in the course of maybe about a month or six weeks I watched that coyote that looked like it was doing pretty well just asleep turn into a complete skeleton and so it was just a skeleton of a head and rib frame and legs. And when I looked at that skeleton, I said to myself, that's a dead coyote. Now, transition that to the world in which you and I live. There are, like the dead coyote the first day, people who are dead, but they don't look dead. Because they're doing good things. And then there are people that are dead, and we say, you know, they're dead. And how can we tell they're dead? Because they're people like Hitler, Stalin, and these folks that have done terrible things. We say, yeah, they're dead. Which is because their degree of deadness is more revealed in how they look. Whereas others, their degree of deadness is like the coyote the very first day that they died. And they look sort of okay how can you say they're not, they're dead? Look at them. They look okay. And so what God is saying is that in the degrees of deadness that we see around us, they're still dead. I couldn't any more revive the coyote the first day he died than I could the skeleton that was six weeks later. And for the people that we want to reach and we want to see God do something in their lives, when we try to reach out to them, remember, it's like going to a cemetery. And raising the dead. You can't do it. I can't do it. And that's frustrating. So, second barrier is this. We need to overcome Satan's spiritual power, but we can't. So, this is a pretty fut- futile thing. You know, we're, th- we're giving out all these things that says that we can't do these things, and that's frustrating. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 and 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. And it says, according to the prince of the power of the air, and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, just breaking that down, here is what Satan does. He has a domain, the course of this world. The word course means this period of time, this, this framework in which Satan is operating. This is his world. This world, literally the world that you and I live in, he runs this place. Secondly, Satan has a nobility. He is the prince of the power of the air. He is very powerful. Thirdly, he has an existence today that works through the spirits of demons that go and roam around the world. And then finally, the thing that is intriguing to me is that he's working in the sons of disobedience, as this Paul says. Who are his subjects? The sons of disobedience. The word disobedient is actually a Greek word that means I am unpersuaded. I hear what you're saying. I choose not to believe it. I am unpersuaded that Jesus is the way to heaven, that I am that terrible sinner, that I'm truly dead in my trespasses, that the Bible is the Word of God through which I should be able to live my life, that the church is an entity of the body of Christ that I should be part of and grow and serve others and care for others and worship Jesus Christ. I'm just unpersuaded that that is something that is a value to my life. I am just not convicted that I should be part of that. That's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a world that is out there under the course of Satan's prince of power of the air and his demonic beings working in the sons of disobedience who are those who are outside of Jesus Christ and they are unpersuaded people primarily because they're dead. And I can't reach dead people. I can't save dead people. I can't bring to life... Dead people that Satan rules over. First John 5 19 reminds us that we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It's what God says. Somehow God is permitting Satan to do something in this world today, much like you see in the case of Job, where God gave him permission to do so much to Job, and yet he remained righteous. We also see that one of the reasons why we can't reach dead people is because of this, in whose case the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. So dead people are blinded by Satan so they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan does something, and I don't understand it, and I don't know why God doesn't remove the blindness like he did with the Saul that became Paul. Why don't you reveal the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, God? Why don't you do that? I don't know why God doesn't do that for people that I pray for, and as you do as well. But for whatever reason, God is doing something that I don't understand. But it doesn't make me stop from having that prayer and that outreach that we'll talk about in a moment. But this is the satanic power that is working today. Barrier number one, people are dead in sin, so they can't hear from God. Barrier number two, Satan has his power at work to blind, to deceive, so they're unpersuaded, disobedient, are unpersuaded to biblical truth. And then thirdly, we need to overcome our spiritual desires, but we can't. We all have spiritual desires that are rooted in our pre-Christ days and those spiritual desires are somewhere in our body and they seek action they seek ways to be fulfilled It says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 among them we too referring to himself the apostle Paul and all believers we all formerly live in the lust of our flesh this body is my flesh this body is not saved yet I mean look at my body Do you think this body is saved You don't need to answer that. You can be nice. But this body has not been saved. My soul is saved. My mind is being reshaped. But my body, it's just getting worse every day. I'm sorry to say that, but it's getting worse every day. So I'm living in the lust of our flesh. This body, this body indulging the desires of the flesh, of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And so there's something happening in my body, in the bodies of those, especially who have never been changed by Jesus, that has a fleshly desire that they indulge in. Now this word indulge, I was intrigued by it. The word indulge literally means to spend time someplace. If you see the same Greek word for indulge used almost every other place in the Bible, it says, I spent time here, I spent time there. So when Paul says, I am indulging in the fleshly desires, it means I'm spending time there. Let me, let me illustrate it with something that's, that's kind of very trite, but it's easier to speak about something trite than some deep, dark sin. That, anyways. So last night... Joy made what is my, one of my favorite pies. The, the Sarah Lee frozen pie. <laughs> I love the Sarah Lee frozen cherry pie. I know it sounds like, how is this theologically, biblically correct? Well, hang on. And so, I, I, in fact, when Hagens was going out of business over here on 17th, which is a whole other story. Uh, they had them on sale, and it said the original price was nine dollars, and they wanted to get rid of all their stock, so they reduced it by forty percent. So I bought it for like six, seven dollars, and I came home from Joyce Says, "Look, I got the Sara Lee cherry pie for forty percent off. Forty percent off. What, nine bucks? It's seven dollars. Well, she bought the Sara Lee cherry pie over here at Stater's for three ninety nine. And so it's just like the capitalistic system, you know. So last night, so this, I, I, I could smell it cooking. And I was, I was, I was watching, you know, often I was sitting there on TV watching sports. Sometimes I like to watch USC lose. And, uh, and sometimes I watch UCLA lose. And last week I watched the Dodgers lose. And... Uh, Pretty soon I'll get to watch the Lakers lose. But as you're sitting there watching your favorite teams lose, you know, and a commercial break comes, I'll begin to think about that pie sitting over there on the island in our kitchen. And the more I think about it, the more I think I should have a piece. So I'll cut myself a piece and I'll go back and I'll eat it and I'll feel so gratified because my flesh is being satisfied. And then I'll have my empty plate sitting there. And then the next commercial, (laughs) I'll begin to think about that pie again. And I think, you know what? I think I want to have some more. So what I do is I walk over to the pie because you don't eat as many calories if you just sit there and cut little slivers of pieces (laughs) off. And I take those little slivers of pieces and I'll just sit there and hover over this pie and little sliver by little sliver, I'll eat half the pie. And when I do that, I indulge myself because I am spending time there. And what the Apostle Paul is talking about, says, don't indulge the flesh. Don't spend time where the flesh can be fulfilled. And whatever that may mean for you, It may mean that I'm spending time on this computer and the flesh is being drawn to some of these ads that pop up along the side. And they promise some fleshly desire. It may be that you're sitting in your place at work and you're looking across the aisle and you're seeing this person over there and there's something about that person that stirs the flesh. It may be that you're playing in your mind someone that you once dated years ago and you had an improper relationship but your mind begins to replay the fleshly fulfillment and when you do those things you're indulging you're spending time you're spending time thinking wondering imagining and God says don't that's a barrier to your growth It may be that you're spending time thinking about someone who cheated you, someone who betrayed you, someone who wounded you, and your revenge factor is just rising. flesh is feeling stronger to do something about that, and you're spending time replaying that. And God says, don't indulge those things. That's a barrier to spiritual growth. So you see how God is saying to us that we've got barriers. Deadness, spiritual satanic power and my flesh these things prevent all that god wants for us and so what do we do about that here is the challenge there are three views of human nature one commentator said that some people in the world believe that man is well and all we need to do is diet and take lots of vitamins and we'll just get better Others say that man is sick, and so therefore we just need to have uh, somebody come and cure what's sick in us, but we're not hopeless. And then others, like God, says, no, man is dead. We are dead, and only a miracle will change us. Well, many in the world say man is well, I'm okay, you're okay. Okay. Many in the world say we're just sick and we just have some little therapy and we'll we'll be better, but God says, "No, you're dead. You're dead, and only the life of Christ changes that." And that's why God says this: that I want you to overcome all these barriers. And here is the positive news. Here is the good stuff that God gives to us. What do we do about that? We need to understand and receive God's rich mercy and great love for you. But God, I love these opening verses, words, two words in Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, but God, I'm dead of my sin. The prince of the power of the air is dominating the domain of my life and my fleshly desires. I am indulging. I don't want to do that anymore. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions. God loves me before I ever had a thought about Him. But God loves us even when we're dead in our transgressions. That's the good news. Notice these words of love that God has for us. The Lord appeared to him from afar saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have drawn you with loving kindness. God's love drew the nation of Israel. I have drawn you with a loving kind. God didn't say I drew you into my relationship through judging and condemning and hating and yelling at you. God says I, I loved you with an everlasting love and I drew you to myself with loving kindness. Micah 7, 18 and 19 says, Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of His possession? He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. And yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. God's love. God's unchanging love. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins in Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The deadness of my sins, the satanic power that controls my life, the fleshly desires that I am prone to indulge in, They are all won over. Not by me being smarter, clever, more thoughtful. They are won over because God has love that begins to draw me in. And that's where you and I come into play. God's love. I sent to you an email. I sent an email out each week. I just want to read a little bit from some of the things that I learned from a fellow by the name of Caleb. Caleb grew up in a home where both his parents came out as gay. They eventually then divorced each other and continued their course of being gay and lesbian. Caleb, somewhere in the course of God's miraculous work, saved him. Miraculously. To grow up in a home where there was complete antagonism to everything the church and the Christians believe, that's what Caleb grew up with hatefulness at the church and people like us. But he became a believer. He became a pastor. And I'm shortening the storyline. And it says, And after I came to Christ, my parents were irate. My dad grounded me. He told me I was basically disowning him. My mom wouldn't talk to me for months when I told them that I believed God intended sexual intimacy only for one man and one woman. That created more trauma But I always told them that God loved them, not based on their sexuality, but because of what His Son accomplished on the cross. I had to continually show them examples of people, including my friends, who were not like the Christians they had known before. When he was pastoring his first church, he invited his mother, an avowed lesbian, to come and worship in their church. And two elders came over to him as the pastor of the church and it says, you've got to make sure you keep those people out of our church. He quit that church, as he should. That is so Unchristlike and sinful. He says, That was my last Sunday there. I prayed, Lord. If you give me the chance to lead a church, I want it to be a place for people struggling with sexual identity, for addicts or gangbangers, for people who are bankrupt, for people having affairs. At my current church, we absolutely believe that God has expectations for sexuality, but I am not called to change anyone's sexual orientation. My goal is to preach the gospel and to share Jesus Christ. The LGBT people who attend know about our traditional views. That doesn't stop us from loving and embracing them, we can learn a lot about loving other people. There are militant activists like my mom in LGBT. Sure. There are extremists in just about every community, but for the most part, they are some of the most loving and accepting people I know. They're not looking for the next battle to fight. They want to live their lives. At its best, the LGBT movement has many qualities we 'd associate with the church. There's a love for people. There's a strong sense of justice and a commitment to share a cause. They're intentional about sharing their views and unshamed to be recognized for what they believed. And as Caleb loved his mother and dad now divorced, they came to believe in Jesus. How do dead people caught up in the gay lifestyle get saved? God loves them, and God let His parents see God's love through Caleb. You and I express the love of God to people who are dead, satanically controlled, and indulging in fleshly desires. We penetrate that with love. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's how God wants us to reach people through this love. God being rich in mercy and love, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He saves us. The reason I love God is because He first loved me, not because I was so good. And then we trust in the miracle of Christ to help complete that change. Christ begins to work in people's lives. And it says in Ephesians 2, 6, and 7, He made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him. He raised you from death to new life. Jesus raises the dead people in the cemetery. Jesus raises the dead people in the world around us. Jesus does all the heavy lifting. I can't change my spouse, my children, my grandparents, my boss, my employees. I can't change them but when i love them i give god the credit for a love in me to them so jesus begins to raise them up and he gives them life i can't give them life i can't do that i can't change someone's sexual orientation so i bring people to jesus and let him lift them up And so I trust in the power of Christ to do that so He will display His grace. This is what I love, this last verse. Seated with Him, He raises me up to be seated with Jesus in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The reason that God wants to save us in our sin when we're dead, when we're controlled by Satan, when we're indulging in our fleshly desires the reason god says i want to do it all i don't want you to do it i want to do it through you is so that i can prop you up and make you a display of my grace because if you do it i get no glory god says but when i do it you're a display he might show the word he might show literally means to display he wants to display we are a display of his grace of life change you know, the Orange County Auto Show is going on. One of the things they love to do is to display, as Tim was talking about, new cars. I love new cars. They just don't make them like they used to. This old Corvette, love that. Put it on display. The 1960, 55 Thunderbird, love that car. You put it on the pedestal and you display the beauty of that car. The Austin Healey 3000. Oh, they don't make them like that anymore either. That's a beautiful car. Put it on display. And one of my favorite cars, like a 1972 80 SL Mercedes-Benz. You put those on display. Why? Because you see the craftsmanship of the work that's been done. And then there's this car that gets on the pedestal of the world premiere. You know what God wants to do? He saved a spot for you in heaven where you're seated with Jesus, and you're going to stand in something like this, probably a little nicer, and you're going to stand there. and You know like those models they have in the car shows? You're going to be like, better. <laughs> but you're going to stand there and say, let's just take me. Dave is a display of my grace. You should have seen him before I started. You ever have pictures of Before? You restore a car, restore a house, and then afterwards? Well, God's going to show the afterwards. A display of God's grace. We're going to stand there. And why is that? He displays His grace that we because we're seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's not because we're so special. It's because Christ is special. Let me illustrate that. About three Sundays ago, Joe and I went to... What's the best football team out there today? The Patriots. You're right, New England Patriots. They're the Super Bowl champs and they haven't lost a game since, so they're perfect. So, we went to Gillette Stadium and watched the New England Patriots. We we're back in Boston. We we're blessed to be able to be in the Boston area for a week and we watched the the Patriots play. Now, how do we get good seats? How do we get inside the stadium? We were able to eat in the dining room with the players. It was Tom Brady. I had dinner with Tom Brady. He was like 50 feet away, <laughs> but it was still close enough. Rob Gronkowski was over there. Nate Solder was there. Met him, talked to him. I thought, wow, I'm hanging out with some big deal people here. Well, why was I there? Because Robert Kraft, the owner, says, Dave, I love you so much. You're such a great guy. Let's just come on into the dining room. Let's go out in the field. Let's play. Let's throw catch. Let's play catch a little bit. Here, Tom, come on over here. Let's play catch with Dave. Why, why was I there? Not because of anything that's special about me or joy. Why I was there? Because I knew someone Matthew Slater. And Matthew hooked us up with the seats. Matthew's wife, Shazard, got us into the dining room. We ate in at the players' dining room after the game. Then Matthew says, You want to come out in the field? And we went out in the field. We stood in the middle of the field there. And you look around this thing. You say, Wow, this is amazing. And I said, Matthew, can you believe it? Seven years in the NFL. Here you are. You're like all pro and playing the game. It's just incredible. Super Bowl. Well, the only reason I'm there is because I know Matthew. And let me tell you something. The only reason anybody's going to get to heaven and be seated with Christ and in that display counter of the grace of God, the only reason we're going to be there, because we know someone. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus is making it possible for you and me to be seated with Him in the heavenly places. And that's even better than Gillette Stadium. It's supposed to be a joke. There is nothing like that. And that's what God invites us into. Now, I'd like to stop at this and I want to invite you to do something that I know and I will acknowledge that is not always our comfort zone for some. But I'd like for you to talk to your neighbor. And would you say, how has God's love impacted me? And who do I know that I need to impact with the love of God as well? Would you just sort of generally discuss that for a few minutes? And say, here's how God's love has touched my life. And I think I know someone that needs to be touched by God's love as well. Would you just discuss that with your neighbor for a few moments and then we'll close with our time of worship. We'd like to uh, continue to worship the Lord together, and let me invite you as the worship team comes up to lead us. If you're here today and have never put your faith and trust in Christ, what God says is is real. You know, I'd like to make it easier, like, yeah, we're all okay, everybody's going to heaven, it's no big deal. you know, that would be such an easy message to preach. But what God says is what we deliver and we try to do it as loving and kind as we can. But yeah, before Christ we are dead in sins. Whether we look like we're one day old coyote run over or the skeleton, it's still dead. And we may look okay, but God says no. Until Jesus Christ comes into your life and lifts you up to ultimately seat you at the right hand of God in heaven to display His grace how He changes and saves and transforms your life, God, that's what He wants to do. If you've never had that change, that powerful change, come into your life through Christ, not through your efforts, but through Christ. Christ does all the work. But God in His love, He saved us even when we're dead in our trespasses. He wants to save you too. And if you've never received that gift of His life, I want to invite you to do that right now And then after I pray, we want to worship together. And after we worship together, I want you to come up here. We'd love to know if you've made a decision to believe in Jesus. Or if you'd like to have more questions answered, we'd love to do that too. But let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're a God who loves us. That even when we were dead in sin, whether we feel like we're dead or not, you say we are. I want to be persuaded, and I hope people are persuaded that that is true and so father I want to invite any who want to be saved to allow Jesus to give new life of transformation and change your grace your love applied to help them become the child that you want them to be so I invite you to pray this prayer if that would be your desire to let Christ give you new life God in heaven I am in my sins. I need forgiveness. Forgive me now. I believe in Jesus. I ask Him to give me new life and then to live for You. And I thank You for the power that You unleash to me. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.